Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. Now here is Pastor Jesse Peterson. Welcome to Northgate. How are you guys doing? You doing all right? Very good, very good. The 11 o'clock crowd always has had their coffee already. You know that they're a good crowd. My name's uh, Jesse Peterson. You usually see me up here doing some music, but today the rest of the team's gone, so you're stuck with me. So uh, it should be... <laughs> oh, no, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. Um, a few quick things before we get started. One is baptism. We have baptism classes coming up the next two weeks. Uh, baptism, we're not going to argue the theology of it or the salvation of it. We're going to say that Jesus did it, that he says to do it, so we're going to do it. So um, we can talk about the details in the class. Um, be- baptism is very important. You understand that it's beginning. It's not wait till you're good enough, you get to a point, and then get baptized. Baptism is repent and be baptized is what the Bible says. So I want you to think about that class. If you've never been to it, if you've been a believer a long time and never been baptized, it's time. Let's do it. So get into the class next week, the week after. You can sign up for that at the help desk there. Also, how many of you guys have enjoyed our series, Questions I've Always Wanted to Ask God? Yeah? It's good. It's good. All of the notes, all of the audio, all of the video is all on our website. So if you missed a week, which I'm sure it's summer, a lot of you have missed a week, or maybe two or three or four or five, I'll point you out. Um, You can go on the website and you can find out what we talked about that weekend. Or if your friends have questions and you can point them to an answer, it's always going to be right there. It's there on our website just for you guys. Also, last, I'm just so thankful to be here with you guys. My wife and I have been now um, with you for about six months. Um, We are officially Benetians and we are in love. Yeah. Officially Venetians, and we, we just love this area. We just love, um, it's true, it's not just something I'm saying, I love this area, and I love this church, I'm so thankful that I'm on the team that I'm on, and that we have the pastors on staff that we have, and um, that they're in, uh, they're in Africa now coming back, and I'm just so, so thankful to be here with you guys. Today we're going to talk about a question that's an interesting question, is why does God seem so different in the Old Testament? It's a funky question. How many of you guys have asked, been asked this question before? Raise your hand, nice and high. And I'm sure you had a very easy answer, right? Two minutes and they were, oh, that's why. Ah, no? Nobody's saying yeah? Because if, yeah. So I have the fun job of giving about two hours of lecture in 25 minutes. So strap on your boots. If, um, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the aisles. You're going to want to read uh, this along with me. You're going to be a little bit lost if you don't have something. Find somebody with you next to you. I'm going to be giving you page numbers to actually get in there and read it. One of the very first things we've got to understand about this question is that it's a bit of a bogus question because what we believe here at Northgate and what we believe in the Christian church is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now, that makes it different than other religions, Mormonism, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses. They would all say that Jesus was not God. Jesus was maybe a great prophet. Jesus was maybe the son of God, but not God himself. But Jesus never left room for that. He never left room for that. The reality is, is that what Jesus said about it in Mark 14, 60 through 62, a few of these scriptures are going to be up on the the slides here. He's talking to the high priest and he's about to be crucified and he's talking to him and it says, then the high priest stood up before them and asked, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. Do you remember a time in the Bible when somebody else said, I am, when describing themselves? 
Yeah, Moses is standing at the burning bush, hopefully not having a hallucination because he's about to go talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go out of Egypt. And he says, who do I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. That is the exact same reference Jesus is making here. Time and time and time and time again, Jesus makes reference to him being the, not just the son of God, but God himself. And in fact, he wasn't crucified because he healed people. He was crucified because he said, I am God. So it's very, very important in the understanding of this question that it's a little bit bogus. The framework of this question is a little bit off in the sense that God is God and Jesus is God. Because the real question that we're asking a lot of times is why does it seem like God acts so harshly in the Old Testament and Jesus says things like, turn your cheek and love your neighbor? That's the question we're really asking. Is that yes? This will be a little bit interactive, so if I don't see head nods, I'll be asking for them. You can get out an amen to every once in a while. I'm okay with that. There it is. Amen. That's the real question we're asking. Is Jesus, why does it seem like there's maybe a difference there? Why does it seem like there's maybe a difference there? Well, Jesus said he was this, but others others said he was God too. In John 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So they're talking about Jesus here. He's talking about Jesus here. It says, he was, nothing, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Other people said Jesus was God. Jesus himself said he was God. So it's very, very, very important. The very foundation of our conversation is that Jesus is God. So now that we've cleared that piece up, let's clear up a couple other things. In the Old Testament... We can read some of these stories and we say, oh my goodness, how, how are they okay with this interaction with God? But the original audience of the Old Testament isn't you and me. It's an ancient Hebrew society. Now we get to read God's story through that. We get to read God's story through that. But their perception of God at that time was not one where he was a mean, uh, malevolent God. He was not a jerk. It says time and time and time again, says God is merciful and full of love. God is merciful and full of love. This was their understanding of God. So as we're reading these Old Testament scriptures that are maybe don't make quite enough sense to us, we need to come at it from the point of their understanding was that God was merciful and full of love. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. In Psalm 100, 4 through 5, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This was not a people group who thought, what a jerk. You need to understand that the original audience saw God as merciful and full of love. And to clear up another misunderstanding about the Bible, Jesus is the one who actually talks about hell and judgment. In fact, Jesus talks a lot about hell and judgment. 73% of the time the word hell is used in the New Testament, guess who it comes from? Jesus. 73% of the time hell is talked about in the New Testament, it comes from Jesus. In fact, there isn't even a... a, a, um, And the Old Testament, there isn't even a word that translates into hell out of the Old Testament. 
So our perception is just off. If we're reading the story from the very beginning to the very end, we need to clarify our perception. And first off, Jesus is God. And understanding that they saw him at that time as merciful and full of love. And if you read the story, you see it. And lastly, Jesus says there will be judgment and there is hell. There is separation from God. That is hell. He's very, very clear about that. That is where, that is our baseline, okay? We're going kind of theology 101 here real quick. That is our baseline. In John 14, 6, I want you to open up your Bibles. If you've got your church Bibles, it's on page 1068. 1068. Give you a second to get there. We're going to go to John 14, 6. And if you're in a church Bible, it's in the top left corner on 1068. John 14, 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Not you, not me, not no one. Okay? So he's very clear about how this is going to happen and how this goes. So, okay, let's look at another one. 1054 in your church Bibles. We're going to John 5, 21 through 30. John 5, 21 through 30. I'll give you a second to go there. 21 through 30 says this. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will will rise to live, and those who have done evil will be rise to condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Why is Jesus so mean? (laughs) Jesus talks a lot about hell. He talks a lot about judgment because reality is, friends, is you cannot have righteousness without judgment. There would be no sense of calling anything good if there was nothing evil, right? You have to have that. And Jesus says, I'm going to be it. So how do we contrast the loving, merciful God of the Old Testament with the really mean Jesus who's going to judge you? See how interesting that is when you can change it? Our perspective is off. And I don't truly mean that Jesus is evil and mean and harsh. I really don't. You read the rest of the story, you understand something very different. But our question is off. So why is our question off? We need to understand that a little bit. Well, it goes like this. We read some of these Old Testament scriptures, and we're going through the Bible, and it's like the story I have of my mom. My mother, Cheryl Peterson, is a saint. If you ask her, she'll tell you she's a saint. If if you ask me, I'm supposed to tell you she's a saint. That's how it works. If she comes here and you meet her, you say, Jesse says you're a saint. I'll give you $5. We'll be even. I want more inheritance. There's not much there, so I'm going to scrap for what I can. She is a saint. 
She's a saint. And one day we're down in San Francisco, down on the Pier 39, you know, we're down there looking at the seals. Why everybody has to go see the seals, I don't know. But you have to go see them so they can, you know. You're walking down there, and my mother, the saint, is standing there next to me. And all of a sudden, we kind of notice over at the corner of our eye, there's a gentleman sitting on the ground. And he's sitting on the ground, and he's kind of looking disheveled, maybe not so good with the eyesight, and he's got a sign in front of him that says, homeless, any change will help. And he's got a little cup in front of him, and it's got some cash in there. And my mom walks up to him, and I'm thinking, oh, great. We, we have, like, lunch plans in, like, 30 minutes. Mom, like, we don't have time for you to walk this guy through salvation. I know that you're a saint, and you have to do this. But so she stoops down, and she gets up next to him, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not listening to what they're saying because I'm over here trying to listen to the seals kind of ignore because I'm a little bit like, oh, oh, she always does this, my mom. And she comes down here, and she stoops next to the guy, and she starts talking to him for a second. And all of a sudden, she takes his money, kicks him in the face, and he goes over the edge. No, no. I'm just going to make a disclaimer, that never happened. My mom's going to watch this video. Mom, that never happened. But when we're reading the Old Testament, it can be like that. This merciful, just, beautiful God is walking through the Old Testament, and we're like, oh, yeah, he's going to go talking about salvation, that God, and then he just, bam, kicks him in the face. Without any understanding of what they're talking about, it seems really harsh. In fact, there's a Gary Larson cartoon about it, where God is sitting on a computer, and he has his finger hovering over the smite key. He's hovering over the smite key. And so our interpretation a lot of times of God is that God is just standing up there. He's this, he's this guy who's got all these video cameras, and he's just like, smite, 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 smite. Because we read it incorrectly. But that story about my mom, if it were true, which it's not, I had to clear that up in the first service. It's not true. But if it were, I'd have to do one of three things. One of three things. I'd have to, I'd have to first, I could ignore it. I could completely ignore it. And there's plenty of people in the church who ignore those passages, who ignore controversial passages because it doesn't make sense to them. And uh, this isn't a new thing. In, this, in, 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 um, in, in like the first century AD, uh, there was a church that was growing and they had decided that we're not going to talk about these things. And so they were growing and growing and growing and growing. You can't ignore them, but I think that's wrong to do. I think it's wrong to do because it's God's story. We can't just ignore the parts of God's story that don't make sense to us. Does that understand? I could ignore it. My mom, could you imagine? She just did that and we're at Starbucks with the money pulling it out of the can like, sweet Starbucks. (laughs) It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. You cannot ignore it. You could try and rationalize it. You could try and well, uh, my mom did that because, um, well, she's got uh, hypoglycemic and she's low blood sugar. <laughs> and uh, the low blood sugar, you get really ticked off or she was hungry or uh, there's a million different reasons you could give. And then you'd be like, and then, and then he probably like said something mean to her. And so like he deserved it, I guess. But that's really brutal. That's really brutal. You cannot just rationalize it. I've heard so many people give an easy answer to this question. And one of the easy answers is, well, if God is our father, then he was just disciplining them. I don't, my dad never was responsible for the death of an entire city. <laughs> he spanked my bottom, but I was, he was never in charge of all that. 
He was never in charge of all. So it doesn't really make sense to just rationalize it. It's too easy to say. It's, it's, it, 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 it creates lack of fortitude. You're saying, ah, I don't really understand it, but I don't really want to understand it. So I'm just going to be like, well, this is why. It's over here. No, what you must do is you must try and understand it. You must try and understand it. It's incredibly important that you try and understand these scriptures because it, when you get in an argument with somebody, you get closer to them, hopefully, in the end of it. You work it through. You've talked it through. The only way I'd be able to understand what happened in that situation is if I truly tried to understand why my mom kicked him in the face. She didn't kick him in the face. That's what I would have to do. I'd have to try and understand that. And there's some tools we can do to try and understand that, but you have to, you have to, you have to. Do not ignore these passages. Do not simply say, well, uh, I'm just not smart enough. I haven't had enough theology teaching. It's not that it. We have Google. You know how much you can learn on Google? Be careful of your sites, but you can learn a lot. When reading the Old Testament scriptures, we must always read them through two concepts, the idea of covenant and concept, I mean, context, sorry. Covenant and context. It's incredibly important that you understand the idea of covenant and context. Covenant is simply this. It's an agreement made between two parties. There is uh, terms to that, and um, there are results of those terms, okay? A very simple explanation. This could be a long, long, long sermon if I went deeper into this, but the nation of Israel were people who had made a covenant with God. The first major covenant was made by a man named Abram with God, and we're going to read that. Go to page 11 of your church Bibles. Okay, it's right in the very beginning, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I think it's incredibly important you understand where these are in the story. So that's why I'm wanting you to read them. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That sounds like a lot of bless, 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 blessing. God's making a deal. He says, Abram, later Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Abram, later Abraham, he makes a deal with him. He says, listen, I'm going to make you. Later on, you see, as, look up at the, sky, at, the, at the stars in the night. See how many stars there are. Your, your descendants are going to be like that, and of the sand of the beach, too numerous to count, and they are going to be a blessing to the generations. They will inherit the land of Canaan. This is the very beginning of the story, and if you don't know this part of the story, it's going to be really difficult for you to understand the rest. See, God has a story from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when he creates us, and he says, this is good. I want a relationship with these people. We sin. There's, a, there's sin in there. And we have a separated relationship, and God's entire book is talking to us about how he wants a relationship with us. You can't just skip over one part of it. You've got to understand the story. That's the first covenant, that God will bless the nation of Abram. Okay? Then later on, they come out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for years and years and years, and all of a sudden, Moses comes down. Um, in Exodus, he comes down from the mountain, and he's talked with God. So let's look at that. That's also, um, or that's going to be in Exodus 19, 3 through 7. In your church Bibles... That's going to be on page 73. So Exodus 19, 3 through 7. 73 in your church Bibles, Exodus 19, 3 through 7. It says this. 
Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words to speak. You are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord that, had commanded, that the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord and the conversation continues. And then you get into Leviticus. It's a lot of rules and laws. And if you look through it, it's very confusing as to why there's all these rules and laws. But you've got to understand something. God had made a covenant with these people to set them apart as a holy nation, blessing to other nations. Totally different than other nations. But what have they been doing for the last hundreds of years? They've been slaves. They've not been their own nation. They don't know how to act. And most importantly, they're in the middle of the desert. God is setting them up. And he's saying, if you follow my rules, we're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You can be a blessing at that point. It's important to notice that God never says, and through the law, you're going to be saved. It's important to know. He never says that. He says, you will be a blessing. Salvation does not come through the law here. But it is a covenant. It's an agreement that God had made one with Abraham. They sealed it with blood. Sacrifice later, Genesis 15. Read that story. It's a great one too. Why God chooses to sacrifice, blood sacrifice and animals, I'm not quite sure. I'll ask him when I get there. But he chooses to. And every time there's a major covenant, every time there's a major agreement, there's a blood sacrifice of something holy and pure. Also, after God makes the covenant with the people, it's not like they sat down there and were like, huh, let's figure out our terms and see if we agree to them. No, it's like, yeah, we'll do everything God says to do. And they, Moses goes up there and he says, hey, God, they're going to do everything he said to do. He's like, okay, great. Boof, here it is. And they're like, oh, man. But they've got these rules and these laws. It's a covenant they've made. It's really important to understand that most of the Old Testament, beyond this point, we're only at the beginning of Exodus, essentially, or the middle of Exodus there. And God's already given two covenants, two deals that the rest of the Old Testament comes from. You need to understand the idea of covenant. The other idea is context. Okay, I'm sure you understand this a little bit. Um, But context is that this book was not written for you and for me. This book was not written so that Jesse Peterson could learn how to live by the law. This book is God's story through history of how he's interacted with people. It's how God has developed a relationship with people over time. And this story is written to ancient Hebrews. They come out of of an ancient Middle Eastern culture. We don't understand that culture fully. There's a lot of archaeological evidence. There's a lot of different things that we can read about historically that have happened that we know. But if you try and read the Bible with a 21st century context, it's wrong. It's wrong. So you read it and you're sitting there and you're like, oh my goodness, he did what? I don't know. I don't know, but I know that there's a context to that. One of the most amazing things about this context is that in the Old Testament during that time, there were many gods. Cultures had many, many, many gods. And your job as a human being was to not tick them off. You could survive life by not ticking off the gods. You were okay. 
There were gods for fishing, for hunting, for farming, for, for sex, for, for everything. There were gods for everything. And you had to like, like a server holding up all the trays when he's like coming out. You had to balance it all. You had to not take them off. And this was so radical what God was doing. You need to understand how radical. This is the context of the story. It is so radical that they had one God. Not multiple gods, not many gods. They had one God. And instead of your goal is to not take them off, he says, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. That is the context of our story. That is the context of our story. People in the Old Testament, they understood that. We're going to go back to point two on your message here. People of the Old Testament, they understood that the Lord wanted to bless them. They found out that God is merciful and full of love. God is merciful and full of love. That was their context. They knew it. They knew it. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Psalm 145, enter his gates with thanksgiving. You continue to read. They knew that God was merciful and full of love. They knew he was merciful and full of love. So it's important to understand covenant and context. Does that make sense? Okay. You guys ready to dive into a, a story that a lot of people look at and they say, that was really God acting harshly. You ready to dive into a story? Okay, you're not asleep? You're ready? Okay, sure. I like it. I like the enthusiasm. Let's go to it. We're going to go to it. 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6. We're going to explore how to use covenant, how to use context, and how it's going to make sense of a story. Okay? In your church Bibles, that's page 300. 2 Samuel 6. I'm going to start reading, and I know some of you guys will catch up already. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from, the, from Bela to Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. So this ark was where God's presence was with them. So literally says he was enthroned between them. Okay, this Ark of the Covenant signified his presence with them. Let's keep reading. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abimadad, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abimadad, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs, with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because one of the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Oh, good. Good. He died. What? (laughs) That has to be confusing to people. That has to be confusing. All this guy did. Oxen are stumbling. They've got the ark of God with him. And all of a sudden, he reaches out to, to steady it. And he's like, oh. And God's like, nope. Boop. Smite key. You're done. It doesn't make sense, does it? Until you understand covenant and context. Covenant and context. The covenant the nation of Israel had with God back in Exodus, God is very clear how to carry the ark. God is very, very clear. He says, fashion four gold rings on the side and put two poles through it. You read right in here, he says it's on a cart. He says it's on a cart. 
They're coming into the city with the ark of God, God enthroned between the two angels on the ark, and they're rolling with him on the back of the hoopty. <laughs> He's, it's like, it's like, have you ever been, do you ever go to the drive-in and everybody piles in the front, but then you get left put in the trunk? And you know it's going to be a short ride because you park outside the drive-in and everybody goes in, so you only have to pay for one car. They put God in the trunk. They put God in the trunk. God was very clear. He needed to be carried that this Ark of the Covenant was to be dealt with a certain way. That the Ark of the Covenant was to be dealt with a certain way and that it was to be handled a certain way. That's what their laws said. So automatically they've broken covenant on top of the fact that the Ark had been lost for years when you understand the context of the story. If you're just to read that much of the story, it doesn't make any sense. But you read all the way back in the first Samuel, they lost the ark. They lost the ark because they didn't care enough about it. They were irreverent with it. For hundreds of years, the ark is not in their possession. Finally, they get it back into their possession, and David's marching it into the city, and all of a sudden, they're realizing, oh my goodness, what just happened? This guy died because he touched it. We've got God in the back of our hoopty. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. How many of you guys have seen in, in, in the older movies where, you know, like a princess or a king or a queen is riding in and all the men are carrying them on their shoulders and all of that? How many of you guys have seen anybody rolling in on the back of a cart? <laughs> Nobody? That's weird because usually kings are carried and honored. It's interesting to note that for hundreds of years, God did not punish them in this way. But he came to a point and it was done. It was over. He was done. He was not going to mess around with it anymore. Now, why Uzzah had to die, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't have a great theological answer for you. I struggle with it, and I want you to struggle with it too. We've got to understand. We can't simply ignore that fact. But I tell you what, a few verses later in there, it says that they were walking in with the ark again, and it was carried on the shoulders of men. Never again was it carried in the back of a cart. Never again was God dishonored in that way. Why does somebody have to die? I'm not, I'm not sure. When I get to heaven, I get to ask him, but I'm going to struggle with it. But I also understand that God was patient. He was loving. He was merciful for a long time with them. And he said, enough is enough. And they understood one interesting fact is that when this ark, when it went to somebody, when Obed-Edom's house, okay, the ark has to go somewhere after somebody dies because they're like, whoa, we don't want anybody more dying. Those people were blessed for generations. Generations. You look back and they're, in the, they're, in, they're, they're part of the Levites. They're part of the priestly clan. So when you want to understand an Old Testament scripture, you need to understand covenant and context. They made a deal with God and they reneged on their deal. There's consequences. There's judgment. You cannot have righteousness without judgment. The best part about these covenants was that God desired a relationship with us. So if God is a harsh God of the Old Testament, not really, and Jesus is God in the New Testament, why is that so important? Why is that so important? How do we truly rectify the answer to this question? And that is this. This is very simple. Jesus has come to make a new covenant. He's come to make a new covenant. He's come to make a new deal. And he says it time and time and time again in the scriptures. All over the place, Jesus came to make a new covenant. Let's look at that a little bit. God's very clear in Romans 6. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
Matthew 5, 17 through 17 says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come to abol- I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, but to fulfill them. All of the Old Testament laws, all of the Old Testament laws, they pointed towards a Messiah. Salvation was not granted through the law or following the law or doing the rules. Salvation is through Jesus alone. And he says it, I will be the judge. He says, it's very, 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 very clear in here. Luke 22, 20, after supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and said, this wine is the token of God's new covenant to save you. An agreement sealed with the blood I will pour out for you. Again, a new covenant is sealed. It is important. It is sealed through a sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 15 says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone, and Jesus is very clear about that. God developed a plan from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are standing there, and they eat the fruit, and all of a sudden we've got sin in our lives. And we are separated from a relationship with God, so God develops a way for us to have a relationship with him. And he says, I'm going to be something totally radical to you. I'm going to desire a relationship with you, and I'm going to desire to bless you. And eventually I'm going to send a Messiah. And the Messiah is going to come. And it was understood that he would come and salvation would come through him. And somehow they missed it. They missed it. They missed it. And Jesus went up onto the cross and he died. He shed his blood to start the agreement of a new covenant. He had to die. He was perfect. He was holy. He was sinless. God develops a way for us to have a relationship with you. God of the Old Testament is no different than Jesus in the New Testament. He is the same God who has always desired a relationship with you. And he has come to bring a new covenant. John 3.16, how many of you guys see that guy holding up the sign at sports events? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus has come to bring a new covenant. God has always desired a relationship with you. God has always desired a relationship with you. God has desired a relationship with us from the beginning of time. And God is no different in the Old Testament to the New Testament. He still desires a relationship with us. God is no different in the Old Testament and New Testament. So when somebody asks you, but why did he do that? I don't know, but I'm going to try and understand it. And we're going to talk about it. Because the reality is, is that it all points to a new covenant in Jesus Christ. And God always wants to have a relationship with his people. Would you bow your head, please? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.